Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome to Castle of Horror, the show dedicated to horror movies and awesomeness. This week we kick off our retrospective dedicated to the Exorcist series with this, our own episode 100. That is right, our 100th episode of the Castle of Horror podcast, formerly known as the Castle Dracula podcast, and we are talking about William Friedkin's original, The Exorcist. Now, bear in mind, if you haven't seen today's movie, we're going to be talking about it from the perspective of the horror fans we have. So, warning, spoilers ahead from Denver, Colorado. I'm your host, Jason Henderson, screenwriter of the new 3DS game, TMNT, based on the movie. With me from Austin is Tony Savaggio, lead singer of the band Deserts of Mars and co-creator of the comics Psycom from Tokipop and Clockworks from Humanoids, Say hello. Howdy. Howdy. Also in Austin is Mr. Drew Edwards, writer of the long-running comic Halloween Man from Monsterverse Comics. Say hello, Drew. Hello. Hello, welcome back. And also, also in Austin, also, also, special guest Jamie Barr is a musician, pin-up model, educator, and the lead vocalist and upright bassist for Austin's premier all-female rock and roll band, Danger Cakes. Their new album titled Quarter Life Crisis will be released in October 2014. You can find info at dangercakes.net. Say hello, Miss Jamie. Hello. <laughs> hello and welcome back. And finally, as always, joining us from Denver, color commentary from attorney Julia Guzman. Say hello. Howdy. Hey. All right. According to Wikipedia, the ex- there's so much I could even read from the Wikipedia, but just to give it a very high-level thing so we can get into this, The Exorcist is a 1973 American supernatural horror film directed by William Friedkin and adapted from the novel by William Peter Blatty. The book inspired, was inspired by the 1949 exorcism case of Roland Doe, a true case, or so they say. The film features Linda Blair, Ellen Burstyn, Max von Sydow, Jason Miller, Lee J. Cobb, and in voice only, Mercedes McCambridge. It is one of a cycle of demonic child films produced from the late 60s to the mid-70s, including Rosemary's Baby and The Omen. The film has had a significant influence on popular culture. It was named the scariest film of all time, and that's <clears throat> worth debating, by Entertainment Weekly and Movies.com and by viewers of AMC in 2006. It was number three on Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie <laughs> Moments. And in 2010, the Library of Congress selected the film The Exorcist, to be preserved as part of its National Film Registry. In 2003, it was placed at number two in Channel 4's 100 Greatest greatest Scary Moments in the United Kingdom. So all across the English-speaking world, this is considered one of the finest horror movies ever made. 
So let's get right into first impressions. Um, and I'll put Jamie and Drew together. So let's do Tony, Jamie, Drew, Julia, and then I'll go uh, Tony. And let's keep these fairly short because we've got so much to talk about. And then uh, when we wrap up, we'll come around again and, and uh, you know, you know what? I'm not going to stop you. If you want to explain what you feel like on your 100th episode, that's cool too. So, all right, Tony, first impressions, The Exorcist. Uh, this is, uh, again, it's like back with Jaws, one of the best movies as well as being a horror movie. There, some, I mean, it's definitely more horrific <laughs> than Jaws. Um, <laughs> but, oh, man, it's it's a, just a tour de force, great cinematography, just all-around good stuff. I mean, this is another one I think we could spend at least three episodes talking about it and still not cover everything. And I watched, like, both Blu-rays. I think I watched almost everything that was on the two Blu-ray set <laughs> because I just had to. Wow. I mean, it's oh, so good. Did you pick it's this up or did you find it somewhere? Or what? Um, I meant to pick it up uh, freelancing. That, that's actually when I get a new job or some more freelance. I think it's one of the ones I'm picking up post-haste. But uh, I borrowed it this time and and was sad that I don't actually own it because it's amazing. It looks great, and it is packed to the gills. The Blu-ray is packed to the gills. Very cool. Uh, All right. Excellent, Tony. Um, Jamie, welcome back, first of all, once again. Thank you. Good to be back. (laughs) I'm I'm dying to know uh, about your association with The Exorcist and, and what your first impressions on seeing it. Have you seen it before? Uh, all that good stuff. Well, let's see. I remember seeing the first time uh, on Halloween when I was a kid, um, and my parents sending me out of the room <laughs> multiple times throughout the movie to the point where I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, <laughs> I just knew this girl had the devil in her. That's all I knew, and that she was throwing up everywhere. <laughs> And I was like, "Oh my god!" But that was that was my very first time seeing it, so it didn't really scare me as much as it grossed me out. Um, and then I saw it in the theaters when they had the, the reboot and the director's cut, and it's that was and that was at a period in time where I was, you know, as in high school, I started kind of questioning my own personal faith, and I was raised Catholic and. <laughs> saw this movie and that scene where she goes down the the crab walk down the stairs gave me nightmares for weeks and then we watched it I've probably only seen this movie a handful of times we watched it the other night I couldn't stay awake I don't even know why I just it just for some reason didn't have the, the scare factor like it did when I was a kid and I know this movie holds up well on a cinematic end, but I felt like a lot of it just almost after a while seemed, I don't want to say contrived, but, you know, because obviously it is, but it just, you know, it just wasn't as scary as everybody made it out to, like, to seem and you know even though and that's how I remembered it too so it was kind of a little sad like when you like almost like finding out that Santa doesn't exist you know like when something that you knew scared you so much 
<laughs> at some point. And you see it and you're like, really? <laughs> so that's my that's my take. That's a that's a that's a wonderful that's a wonderful response. There's a lot there's a lot to unpack in there because I think this movie does have to grapple with its reputation as something something rather like the finest horror movie ever made and and you know I don't know there's a lot of things grappling for that but it's 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 pretty darn strong. Uh, okay, Mr. Drew, um, and by the way. When the heck does she crab walk? I, I that's that's like in the that the, is in the, 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 the re-released version. Re-release, yeah. It was filmed uh, for the original, but they didn't include it in the original. I knew that happened. I knew that happened. I it's knew really, I, it is really creepy. It's scary. And then she like opens her mouth and blood comes out, and it's just she's like. <laughs> I, I do yeah. remember it being creepy. Um, I uh, the, the this time we watched the. The original theatrical version. So, uh, so we were saying. Oh, you missed out. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, let's see. Drew, first impressions. The okay. First off, I don't think this movie is the scariest movie of all time. I don't even think it's as scary as Jaws. There's nothing in this movie that is as scary as the opening sequence as Jaws. This movie, <laughs> we talked last week about the difference between a thriller and a horror film. This to movie to me, despite how shocking it is, and I will concede that it's an extremely shocking movie, there is probably nothing in mainstream cinema as shocking as this movie is when it first came out. And it is very well acted. It is very well made. But it does not terrify. You know, I was raised Protestant. And what this movie has over me is a sort of romanticism of Catholicism, the same feeling I get right. from watching a lot of Hammer vampire movies, is this sort of ritualized confrontation with evil. And that is what I really love about this movie. This movie, to me, oddly, is kind of romantic because there's a dance to it, the dance of good versus evil. And I love this movie a lot, but I don't think it's scary. And I don't even think it's as scary as... I think The Bride of Frankenstein, which is an ancient movie compared to this, is scarier than this movie. This is a thrilling movie to me. It's exciting to watch. Well acted. Well made. Scariest movie of all time. Not hardly. Right. Very good. Okay, excellent. Um, and Julia, where do you land on, on this movie as scariest? Do you think it deserves that reputation? And also, and in that context, what are your, uh, your first impressions? Well, I uh, I absolutely think it's the scariest movie ever made. That's why I keep saying that, um, and I'm just heartbroken that you guys don't think that you guys don't think it's scary. It's terrible. Um, no, I remember watching it in college because my friend Ann and I uh, challenged each other to watch it, and so we uh, rented it at the Vulcan Video, and we came over to my house, my apartment, and she had a boyfriend at the time who had seen it before, but he wasn't coming over but he was he was working but he kept calling us while we were watching the movie and be like what part are you on and we would tell him and he go oh my gosh he gets so much scarier than that it's like that's not even bad like there's nothing and then we get that we see the part that her head spins around and he and we're like okay we've seen the scariest part we know and it's like no it gets worse (laughs) so i think that added to the the, the suspense like oh my god what else is going to happen um so i just thought it was terrifying i still think it's terrifying although um, the, it, I didn't remember it taking as long as it does to kind of get to the possession part of it. You know, it seems like it takes a while. But um, 
but once that's going on, I mean, all the stuff with the with the girl and the demon just it just terrifies me. I mean, I have a twelve year old, number one, and two, I grew up um, Catholic. I'm uh, I believe very strongly in in not necessarily Satan, but like in you know um, evil spirits that could I suppose theoretically possess someone, and, and they say that this is a true story about a boy. So, um, you know, to me, that is what makes it so scary, is the idea that this could happen. If you don't believe it can happen, it's not going to be scary to you. But if it's something that you believe is possible, then it's horrifying, and mm-hmm. especially if you have a kid. So, um, so yeah, to me, it is the scariest movie of all time. Yeah, I'm with, I, I saw the, the director's cut in the theater, and it had been a long time. And I will have to say, like, the director's cut in the theater with the face appearing on, like, in the kitchen and all of that yes, stuff yes. just wasn't there, and the crab walk. It's this is definitely like I think the theatrical experience is definitely helps because it. I was like, oh yeah, I've seen this. It's you know, and then seeing the theater, I definitely got like it was way scarier. Yeah, Man. I concur. <laughs> I I was well, we, terrified in the theater, but when I saw it at home this last time, nothing. Well, we rewatched. What's what's it was interesting about kind of putting on my, my critic goggles and looking at this movie, which, you know, we talked a little bit about last week, the, you know, the critical eye versus the fan eye. Uh, yeah. the, the first half of this movie is very conventional haunted house type stuff. You know, it really doesn't give you the, the, the bravado, the sort of in-your-faceness that this movie is famous for until, uh, you know, kind of later, later on in the film. Yeah. Uh, no, I think I, yeah. I think that's right. Uh, the although, okay, yeah, some of the gross stuff that people really like to talk about, the pea soup and, and all that stuff, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't come towards the end. But to me, a lot of the stuff that is very scary um, is towards the beginning. But uh, first of all, let me just point out, I don't necessarily think this is the scariest film of all time. I do find it quite scary. Uh, I. I'm not a believer in uh, anything in particular, but I completely am willing to become one in the course of a movie, and and, and so I find all of it to be, to be. You well, know, you know, the the, the awesome. idea of, of of faith and grappling with this movie that way, you know, I like I said, I'm I'm a Protestant, so I look at this from a completely different. Right. You know, this right. is exo- This is exotic to me. You know, it's exotic. Exactly. But this movie plays up the and and. Uh, I mean, no disrespect to this, but this movie totally plays up the exoticism of of the Catholics. You know that the that that the Catholics have secret knowledge. You know, almost uh, uh, you know to mix the traditions that they have they have Kabbalistic knowledge that will that will be able to to you know be of use against demonic forces. But I gotta say, is it as scary as my favorite horror movie, like The Changeling? Is it, is it as scary as as Night of the Living Dead, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that. I will say, it's so weird. You know, when you consider this film, 1973. So Hammer Studios is still around in 1973. They're doing crazy crackpot Dracula movies with hippies in them. You know, and then all of a sudden, out of this, here comes. What, what I call, and I, I think this is, this is the right word, but we can argue with it, and I want to talk about it a little bit, prestige horror. These, like, big-budget horrors that take place in brownstones and people drive big cars and, the, and, 
you know, um, really good actors are playing the parts. And that happened, you know, and so Rosemary's Baby had kind of set the tone. And then this movie comes along, and it's exactly like that. You know, it's a modern world. And there's the, the scary thing, really, at the beginning to me, is when they're putting this little girl who has this mysterious disease into these enormous machines. And it's just so terrifying to, like, stand back and watch your 12-year-old get just battered with radiation and the, and the, the horrible knocking of these, of these things. And, and all these people, it's, they're like witch doctors. In other words, Ellen Burstyn, this woman who's faced with her kid suddenly being in, a, in really weird shape, literally has no idea what the heck to do, and she just turns her child over to whoever says, I'll put her in my machine and we'll tell you. You know, and that's what medicine is. So it is scary. I, I found all of that to be terrifying. Also, the demonic possession, very scary stuff. But that the opening stuff with with the with modern medicine, I found to be deeply disturbing. And you know that they talk a lot in the commentaries and in the in the uh, interviews about most people leaving are <laughs> getting really freaked out. Not so much at the horror parts, the traditional horror parts, but when they, uh, you know, when they're first doing all the medical procedures, Ugh. people are like. That's it. And, in fact, the first one they do... Um, they stick a big-ass needle in her neck. Yeah, <laughs> well, it has to go to her brain. Like, it has to... It's going through the, the I've artery. I've had that, by the way. Oh, yeah. And, really? And they, I've had, they well, actually... I've had a thing, but they said they used that for training purposes. Because <laughs> it was the closest... It looked... It was done so realistically that... Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people... Like that was it for them. Like people were walking now, I've out. I had a that thyroid part. biopsy, which was a giant needle in my neck. So yeah, that was fun. Mm. I mean, it's 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 hilarious. <laughs> it's been forever because oh, uh, you know, I've got it playing in the in the studio right now. Um, <laughs> they stick her in the neck, and so and she's she's awake, and she just kind of winces, and then blood just starts spurting out of her neck. <laughs> At, with with like this arterial rhythm, right? You know, there's a boom, and these huge happen. arcs of crimson, and the doctor just sort of calmly caps it off and puts a line on it, and then it just starts. And it's, you know, it's like, yeah. I mean, not since Eyes Without a Face have medical procedures looked as gruesome as they do here. And this isn't even all that gruesome. This isn't like face-off or anything. This is just, hey, we're going to give this kid a spinal tap and put them under a giant machine, you know. Well, the um, matter of factness of, of it is what makes it yeah. creepy, though. You know, yeah. if it, if it was like them ripping her face off, like well, like face off, uh, yeah. it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be as as scary. It's the fact that this is you know this movie does a very good job of 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 mixing the the mundane with with the supernatural, right. and I think that's you know you talk about like this compared to the more, you know, at the time traditional horror flicks, which were, you know, your Hammer Vampire movies and, you know, AIP was still putting out stuff and, you know, other drive-in type movies. You know, this 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 does what, what you know, the best Stephen King books do. You know, it smacks down, you know, a supernatural event in the middle of the real world. Yes, yes. And in fact, okay, so let's start let's start with the beginning and then we'll get into the the hardcore real world. So very briefly, the movie opens in Iraq of all places where uh where an old, you know, we got to figure like 80 something um priest is puttering around in actually not puttering around, he's sort of jauntily 
going up and down ladders and exploring with this enormous archaeological dig. And he's checking stuff out. And he's only, by the way, when he's making this film, he's talking about Max von Sydow, he's only yeah. 44 years old when so, he's making yes. this film. <laughs> they did this amazing three-hour makeup job on him every day to make him look like that, which I thought was crazy because I'm going to be there not too far in the future. Right. So this is, this is, Father, <laughs> this is Max von Sydow as Father Marin, and he's going to be our lead. And did, were you guys aware of how, Jamie, you'll, you'll laugh when I use the word, how young he was when he's actually making this movie? I had no, no idea. I had no idea. I was wondering because I was thinking about him in relation to how he looks in um, Flash Gordon, yeah. which right. is, of course, right. very different. Yeah. Well, also, you know, they they talked about how when they when they met him, they're like, oh, wait, because you know, he's been playing, he's played older roles in other films. Yeah. Like, and so they, they meet him and, <laughs> and Friedkin's like, oh, wow. Huh. It's like he's an immortal, but he got yeah, like yeah. He got he got triggered as, as as an immortal when he was like seventy. Well, he, he, yeah. now so, looks, he now looks because he was in the remake of the Wolfman in a cameo part. He yeah. now looks like this for real. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, that's right. that's right. It is a it, in fact, if you look at I, I posted on our Facebook page a thing about the makeup job on uh, on Max von Sydow, and yeah, there's a wonderful side by side. To your point, Drew, image of of Max von Sydow, and and next to Father Marin, Sydow recently, and Father Marin then, and it, it is a perfect. The the job they did on him when he was 44 makes him look exactly like Max von Sydow at 80. I, I've I've seen a thousand old old man jobs, and I got to say, this is the first. Uh, I've seen this movie many times, and I never <laughs> noticed it until. Don't don't Google that though. That sounds like a terrible idea to Google. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like, don't do that. Whatever you do. <laughs> so funny. I'm not going um, to. Well, the way the way they did it was they applied dignity, always dignity. So they applied a, a lot of stipple to his forehead, uh, uh, whatever that is, eyes and neck, and then his facial skin was then manually stretched as liquid latex was applied. When the latex dried, then his taut skin was released, causing the film of rubber to corrugate. Which just sounds awful to me. <laughs> I can't imagine that. I, I I have to say this is William. fucking up the makeup, but R.I.P. Dick Smith. Oh, I was going yeah. to say William Friedkin. Uh. I think is a sadist. <laughs> yeah, Dick, Dick Smith. The things that he made people do in this movie to I know horrible. Like, I mean, he shot guns behind. I guess the Miller. He like to get a shock. To make sure yeah, he got the best look of shock, he actually fired a gun and loaded gun right behind him. And but he slapped, slapped the priest. <laughs> yeah. He slapped well, the real he, priest. That's not even just an actor. Yeah. <laughs> the guy's you still know, a priest. He still teaches at Fordham University. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, he talked about shaking. You know, like he's like, I was, I was really shaking. <laughs> that wasn't an act. Yeah. I've been slapped five times. <laughs> Man. That's uh, that that kind of thing, you know. That The Shining is another film that I, that I think is is easily as scary as this one to me. But you know, once again, the the director there, you know, you hear all the time. Um, you know, it, 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 he was he was enormously uh, you know cool to the actors. This is sort of very common, actually, of this whole sort of Rat Pack set of of you know directors making making these big budgets, 
big budget horror films, trying to bring them into something that we would recognize, and so they have all these all oh, method ideas. Yeah, and the bedroom that they were doing the exorcism in that was cooled to like thirty to forty below zero. I love that. So that you can see their so you can see their breath. Anyway, so Max von Sydow is in Iraq. They find um, they unearth a statue of this old demon who I, I I don't remember if they ever clearly name him, but we're told. Well, the 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 name is Tazuzu, which they Tazuzu. mention in the sequels, but they never say in this one. Right, it's a demon. We'll call him Tazuzu, um, and he is one can only presume. This also is never quite made clear. But um, because you can take this whole scene as just us meeting Father Marin in his in his regular Indiana Jones business before we before we return to him much much later, or you can take it that they uncover the demon and then that may somehow or another lead to the the possession that happens next. Well, it releases releases the demon. That's how I always like they accidentally you know like like the mum like an old Universal Mummy movie. You know, they accidentally unleash the monster. Yeah, and I have to say this: I love that both of the Exorcist in this movie are 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 in the Van best Van Helsing tradition. They are men of science as well as men of faith. I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's one of the great things about Peter Cushing in the in the Hammer ones is how how even more so than the '30s version. You know, Peter Cushing carries a crucifix around. He carries a number of crucifixes around, and he's always handing them out. And, and yeah, that whole concept of, of quote-unquote, manly Christianity, you know, which is definitely what, what Marin's going to be all about. And it's what the other priest is about, because he's a, he's a boxer. So, all right, so we have the Iraq thing. Now, okay, now we go through this section of the modern world. And what, where we wind up is in Washington, D.C., in the very well-appointed household, rented household, um, where California actress Ellen Burstyn is in uh, Washington D.C. filming some movie or another, where you know about which is about campus protests and, and what have you. And she's apparently a huge star. She has her staff with her at this house that she's renting in D.C. And you know she has basically she has a what appears to be a butler and she has a governess. And she's busy, and she has a teenage daughter, or I guess, I don't know, a 12-year-old daughter, who she seems to have a wonderful relationship with. So her life is fantastic. She has, you know, this extremely well-appointed life, except for that weird things have started happening. They're hearing weird noises in the attic. And then out of nowhere, uh, Reagan, the daughter, just starts acting up. Um, what did you guys think of this presentation, first of all, as just putting us into the world of, of the 1970s? And, and I'm wondering also, you know, Jamie, you may not have any memory of the 70s at all. So this no, I don't. I wasn't born. <laughs> right. So this, so this could be a completely unrecognizable world. I don't think any of them do, Jason, have memory of the 70s. <laughs> I was born in 1978, so no. I was a little baby in the 70s. Yep. Okay, well, I don't want to just hear myself talk. It looks like this <laughs> to me. I don't know. I, I'm, I, was, I guess this movie came out the year I was born, 73? Yep. Yeah. So, but, yeah, I mean, I, I have, I definitely remember later in the 70s for sure, yeah. so. It, it, the the things that the things that pop out to my mind, and of course, 
you know, the lack of, it's a, in many ways, their life is completely like ours. You know, it's a completely modern world they're living in. You know, they've got electric lights. But at the same time, the world is way lower tech than ours is. There, all the medical stuff is like, as we said, sort of large and brutal and, and a little a little experimental. And, um, you know, there's no real means of communicating with one another except for the main telephone. You know, there's no, there's no cell phones. There's no texting. There's, um, you know, it's, it's uh, I think what I love about putting something in an era like this is that it's very modern and yet everything is, um, is very analog. You know, so there's, you know, you can have characters have to worry about getting messages to one another and, and so forth. Um, anyway, so everything is going great with Reagan, and then the, the way that she really begins to act out is we, they have a big party. People are... Um, uh, well, you know, first, well, first, before that, we, we hear her just say things that are like, like little things, you know, like um, she goes and sleeps with her mom in her mom's bed because the shaking, her bed shaking yes. wakes her up. Yeah, Stuff like that. So it's just these little things that she says that are weird. Yeah, but then we, they, they have a big cocktail party. And, by the way, the line that, um, that got used, uh, uh, Clarence Tom when Clarence Thomas was being, I don't know if you remember this, but when Clarence Thomas was being sworn in by the Supreme Court, one of the things that people said Clarence Thomas had said to his assistants to sexually harass her was, hey, look, there's, somebody's left a, pu a pubic hair on my drink that doesn't belong to me. I don't know where this came from. And people were like, oh, how bizarre. But nobody seemed to acknowledge, and I wish there had been a movie buff in the chambers of the time to go, well, now, hang on. That's something that Burke says in The Exorcist, and it was, because here Burke actually says that line in the cocktail party. Burke, this, the director of the movie, this person at Reagan, the little girl, thinks that maybe her mom is dating. Let me tell you, Burke is never dating Ellen Burstyn. In <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so true. But, but yes, he, he doesn't does. have a chance with Ellen Burstyn, not even in Requiem for well, a Dream. Not just that, but he's also really gay. <laughs> he died after gay, He's so, gay. yes. But, um... Really? Anyway, he seems so gay? I think he just seems drunk. He seems quite... And British. There was a website for a while, I don't know if it still exists, that was gay or Euro trash. <laughs> Yeah, I, that. I would lean more towards zero trash. I don't. I don't get. I don't get a a, a gay vibe per se. I mean, if you can extend gaydar onto a uh, fictional character, but you know, he, yeah. he just, he just kind of makes me think of a comedy drunk character. I I think there's a long way between Dudley Moore and this guy. I mean, I th I think I know where you're coming from, but but fair enough. You know, I and the the. This is, by the way, what a, what a great party this is, because her party is like on the Georgetown campus, and you've got, you've got you know, um, actresses, you've got this crazy, I, I say somewhat fey movie director, you have the rather swishy priest who plays piano and sings show tunes. And well, I got, think he's less. You have an astronaut. Right, yeah. you've got oh. an astronaut. Well, the the guy playing, I mean, the priest playing show tunes, he's he's just more of a, like, you know, if I wasn't a priest, I would totally be a, you know, a piano bar guy. Yes. You know, no, just he's like, fantastic. he's more of a, and it's, you know, he wanted to be a musician and be doing this all the time, but 
the priesthood was his calling for whatever reason. So I love yeah. that character too. I mean, the, yeah. the the really great thing is, you know, we come to uh, there's a brief conversation here. Hey, have you um, piano player priest seen this other priest that I've seen around campus? You know, the handsome one who's a boxer type guy. And the priest goes, oh yeah, that's Jason Miller. He's the uh, he's our our you know counselor for priests. He's a trained the trained psychiatrist. Well, a little bit of plot exposition that way. But what a great I mean, this is so elegant. This whole scene to just show you so many characters doing stuff. And Although, then, um, can, can I say one thing? Yeah. My only problem with this is yeah. that. You know, they make her a movie star. The fact that she's a movie star doesn't really add much of anything to the plot. And I kind of wish that they had just made her a regular person. I think that would have made this a lot more horrifying if somebody had, had not had the financial means to just continuously throw money at this problem. You know, if it had just been a regular regular person left to figure, figure this out. I yeah, think but then I feel like that's important though to the plot line that she has is of financial means to afford the medical bills that would have come with trying to research someone's brain during the 70s yeah, yeah. I guess fair, fair enough fair enough it, no that's all true i mean you could do another film um true it's a great point it's re- it's really good to think about because when you think about it these, these like i said i mentioned the elements that make up these prestige horror pictures and one is definitely wealth in other words why is she rich she's rich because audiences like to watch rich people you know they like to see nice flower arrangements and they like to they like to see big cars so i think to some extent that's what it is and it allows well, it's still some of the trappings of, of gothic horror and like especially like leftovers of universal horror where you have all these people in great costumes sure. having these wonderful well, parties also, where everybody is very swell and, and well-dressed. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't I mean, go about the costumes, though, in this one. <laughs> but she, you know, it also gives her the latitude to do all these tests. Like, right. a regular person can't afford, like, the latest, what at the time was, like, the latest technology. Even, yeah, even was, when they talk about putting her on medication, um, that yeah. medication became what we give kids you know later it's just like oh we'll just it's like candy but at the time it was like well hey we have this experimental thing you know some kids have benefited from this and you know it's i mean it's speed for the most part but uh yeah. hey you want to try giving your giving kid you ritalin speed? They, yeah they, yeah and so um, but you know at the time that was a lot more rare than it is now and so all this stuff is yeah. um you know it's it gives her that latitude to do that. And she's actually really happy. It gives her also a good, like, she can be self-sufficient. Um, you know, the, uh, her husband's not around and she still can afford, like, all this stuff, which, you know, doesn't have to be that way. But I think I think having her be an actress gives she could, a they reason could have given for her any it. real reason. They could have given her wealth through any I mean, means, but yeah, they could have had I, her... I think it just takes waits a lot of time that I think you could I don't think we need that whole that whole business. Well, so so there's two points going on here. I mean, one is, you know, it'd be interesting if she were not an actress and the other is it'd be interesting if she were not wealthy. I think it's interesting that there that she's both, but it's true. I mean, if you had her be let's say this character with the possessed daughter is a teacher um somewhere you know, somewhere in Washington, D.C., living in a couple of rooms in an old house that she's renting, you know, and she barely has two pennies to 
progress together. It would change the way these things go, you know. Um, and I'm sure that there are movies like that. I'm just I'm just blanking out because every every prestige horror movie I've ever seen always winds up with a lot of wealth. George C. Scott in The Changeling has an enormous house that admittedly is renting, but he's renting it because he has a really prestigious job as like the the head of the music department at this major university up in up in Washington. You know, there's it's it's always slick. In fact, the only one of these I can think of that doesn't work that way is. Uh, is it called the car? Yes, the car. And in that one, all the all the uh, protagonists are cops. They don't have money. Um, but yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, that's that's true. You know, we have to we well, have to sort of grapple with with meaning of wealth in this movie. Go ahead. I find I find it interesting because it's you know, without the wealth, like we we're saying, how would they establish that she was actually possessed? Because it comes, I mean, it comes from the doctor who suggests yeah. that this girl, she, you know, she thinks she's possessed. So she, he's insinuating that it's psychosomatic. But if this woman was like, you know, like, I think that adds to the horror aspect of it, or the at least the suspense, is that, you know, the everyday person is not this rich actor who gets to have right. astronauts come to their cocktail yeah. party. You're saying because of so, her wealth, her wealth earns her a certain amount of distance and cynicism. Well, not just that, right. but also but, she can say, I've, I've paid every single doctor that there is. We've seen all the doctors. We've been to the best exactly. specialists. But, There's a scene where she summons like basically every doctor she's ever met yeah, in exactly. one room, which I think is Every doctor available in the world, yeah. <laughs> But Julia, maybe you probably of all people here would understand this more. Um, I, and I say maybe only because you're a, you're a mother, and, but I'm I've, your kids are awesome, so probably not. <laughs> but I know growing up when my sister, I had a sister who you know she was Rebecca the Rebecca, she would act out. There were times when my mom would really think that she well, I don't know if she would serious think it but I know she'd joke and say like she's like oh my god she's possessed yeah. you know because the the tantrums and whatnot that she would throw oh, yeah. and you know I think at the back of every parent's mind when their child acts in such a behavior that is totally yeah. uncontrollable there because of that lack of control we always there's there's got to be that that need to identify it and if you can't identify it then what could it be it has to be something supernatural right. something out other world or, or, or an illness which is what they start out thinking i mean it's just like yeah. if it's an illness if it's like a lesion or a tumor or something that's something they can explain but she knows that it's not because she's seen what happens to the room i mean she's seen the bed yeah. moving and she's seen eventually she sees the records flying across her so it, it becomes more than a, just the girl's body it becomes about exactly space that she's in well if you took out the elegance you could still do the scariness of like you know in other words she could disrupt class you know she could disrupt her piano lessons you know? yeah she could disrupt any middle class thing you want to imagine oh, yeah. I, I, I will say this are what's scary it's just the fact that, or it's not the location. I shouldn't say it's not the location. It's not that she's in this lovely bedroom, <laughs> you know, like on the second floor of a Georgetown flat or brownstone. You know, it's. I think it's the fact that this could be anyone's child suddenly way, just acting out. 
Did you know that the apartment that they uh, the story takes place is actually inhabited at one point by William Blatty when he was a student at Georgetown? I've actually been there. I've actually gone on those steps. And they're scary. We've been to the steps. I'm talking about the actual apartment. Oh, no. Um, I haven't been in the apartment, but I've been to the stairs. Yeah, no, we've because I actually went to, well, I went to Georgetown Law, but it was like, um, you know, but so it wasn't in Georgetown proper, but we went down there. But yeah, but this is actually the apartment is um, was his apartment was the author's. It's apartment. really funny because at the top of those steps is not actually a mansion. The the, the top of those steps no. is really <laughs> adjacent to, if I recall, like a gas station. I mean, well, the mansion is close by, but it's not close enough. They had to actually uh, extend it to be like a like an extra wing so that they would be close enough that, that you could be. That the guy, um, that the director could be thrown from the I mean, window. it's all movie magic. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. you, they never really show the steps literally go right up to the house. They'll right. go, they'll show one perspective where your guy comes up and another perspective where, you know, you're at the door. Um, mm, but, uh, walking it, up. <laughs> yeah, but there's really nothing there. If you if you go there, you know, last I checked, you know, if you go there. Yeah, there's no, there's, there's not still nothing really. So, but, you uh, know, they took a half an inch, it was a half an inch of rubber that it took. Yeah for them to cover it so that the stunt guy could go down it twice. <laughs> oh, uh, I, uh, Drew, you were, were going to say something. Yeah. You yeah. said something about place, or, or um, but I, 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 and I, we uh, stepped over you. Is he still there? Maybe he went away. Okay. All right. Oh. Well, I, I, I have something I would like to say. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what we were asking. Right. Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> I will say this about the party with the astronaut and the whole swankiness of of her lifestyle. My, one of my favorite lines in the movie that, that comes out of Reagan's mouth is, is you're going to die up there. It's yeah. so simple yeah. and chilling. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I love, I love that one bit, and it, it, especially the look the actor playing the astronaut gets on his face after she right. says it. Because I imagine, I always imagine being an astronaut, you kind of would be a little fearful every time you had to go on a, a space mission because it, it does seem a little crazy to be shot up in a rocket. Yeah, so, yep. Well, then that's the scene also. Then when she has the um, when she's has the accident, right? Oh my God! Yeah, we haven't even mentioned the fact that that yes, all these people, these men of science, astronauts, people going into space and and really hip priests who can play piano, all these guys, and into it, they are all struck completely dumb by a 12-year-old who walks in and urinates, which completely breaks all taboos. Yeah, says creepy things and then pees on the carpet, yeah. on the, on the, on the uh, Persian rug. Yeah. And it's so, it's so taboo-breaking that they are just struck dumb. And these are people who consider themselves pretty daring, I, I, I'm sure. You know, so that's that's neat. I mean, that's that's really cool, and that's the point when the movie just sort of really starts to careen, um, because now she starts looking for doctors seriously, and it's very soon that the doctors have poked and prodded this girl as much as they can. They can't find anything, and Reagan is is getting really bad, and you know they've had to. You know, they're, they're having to do things like pad her bed and so forth. And the doctors go, you know what? Here's something interesting. Um, I don't know if you're Jewish or Catholic, but if you get, like, one of your community leaders and you convince Reagan that he can maybe cast out demons, which are actually just a psychosomatic thing, don't worry about it, that might work. 
And Don't worry about it. <laughs> they haven't seen because they haven't seen again. They haven't seen the records flying across the room and the bed shaking violently. They just think that it's just her. But I mean, when you see her, like, oh my gosh, what, that so that scene once once well, they have had it. they have seen it. They do no, no, but see they it. No, the, right? the, those, the doctors have not seen the ghostly stuff. They've only seen her acting crazy and yelling out yeah. horrible things. And they believe that she can make the bed jump. In the same means that you know, just a clever, a, a clever stage performer. But they haven't seen it actually happen. They just right. heard about it from the mom. So they always can dismiss everything and just say. But so yeah, so he comes around to saying, you know, you could have um, somebody come in, and, and that way she'll be convinced psychologically. So um, uh, she does have the priest. And I'm trying to remember the order. I actually wrote down, but I'm trying to remember the order of events as far as when all the memorable stuff happens, like the. The head, the head turning and the the spewing. Oh no, the, well, it's, it's 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 because that's they what the have doctors the drug. though are in there. They have Arthur or Burke, or as I like to think of him, Arthur, watch her while they think after they get her doped up, and then you know when they 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 come back and the window is wide open, and then they find out that he fell fell out <laughs> out the yeah. window and his head's been twisted completely. Around. Right, but that's his head. I'm talking about her head when her head spins around. The yeah, no, no, no. I know, but that the two of those two things tie yeah. together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other, the other very shocking thing that happens in this arena before she starts to go grab a priest is um, after Burke is dead, but before she's gone after a priest, she comes up to the room, and for the first time, there's like really crazy stuff going on. You know, the devil locks the door. The girl is impaling herself in the vagina with a crucifix. There are records and books flying around the room. Right. And, but only mom sees that. And she tries, right. And she tries to crush her with, <laughs> with like, a giant bookshelf. Right. And this is all shocking as all get out. I mean, this is insane. No, it's horrific. Yeah. Absolutely horrific. Yeah. It's, it's astonishing. And also, like, you know, again, at the time, especially for you know, a big budget thing with a, you know, name, you know, actors and everything, you know, now we've got a, you know, crucifix masturbation scene and, you know, yeah. real actors, Not even you know, what little they call girl actors and like, like all of it, just all of it is just, wow, what, what are we watching here? You know, they, they call yeah. it masturbation, but it's really just, I mean, like he said, like Jason said, it's really oh, yeah, more it's like more embarrassing. but it's, and then she's saying, you know, she's dropping the F-bomb left and right and in this weird voice that's not hers. And it's just very creepy and scary. Oh, man. And, you know, she talks about, like, well, how are we, you know, they talk a lot in the interviews about, you know, okay, well, you're going to do this scene. Like, how, what a weird profession. We're like, yeah, I mean, this is still somebody who afterwards has to, you know, go about their daily life. But that's why they picked her, though, because she already seemed so worldly wise, even just talking. Like she already seemed like she knew all this stuff. Like he asked her, Oof. you know, well, do you know what master? But do you know what masturbating is? And she's like, yeah. He's like, have you ever done it? She's like, sure. Haven't you? And, you know, all this stuff. and he says she's just like kind of a lot older than her years. Huh. Wait. Well, I mean, wait. She did. Wait. Who? The Linda Blair. Yeah, Linda Blair. Because I thought she. Oh, I thought that she didn't realize everything, and that was well, part of it. No, she's, she's actually was... the one yelling the F word. I mean, like, she's the oh, one yeah, at no, that point. I knew she knew. That, but they said that it was um, when the doctors walk in, like, in that, in that scene where, you know, her head does spin around yeah. and she 
you know, throws out the pea soup and everything. Um, she, like, and that, um, that just the obscenity and of it all, like, it, you know, just totally threw that, that guy who's yeah. totally lost his lines and, yeah. you know, and he's just totally taken back. But I thought that was actually because, like, she was so, like, naive and innocent in real life. Like, that wasn't no. the case. <laughs> wow. Well, no, I think they, they talk a lot about her being, like, one of the reasons where she had a balance of, like, being naive, but then also she kind of knew the the craft, you know, she'd been working. But also, I mean, she even talks about it. And from the interviews you see with her, there's just, there is an undercurrent of, like, yeah, I don't know if that was the best thing for a kid to do. <laughs> right. Like in retrospect. Linda Blair as an adult does not seem as screwed up as a lot of other former uh, child stars. But yeah. I've got to say, if, when a 12-year-old says, hey, don't worry, I'm totally hip and I know what all this stuff is and we're good, you can do any crazy thing you want, the 12-year-old is the last person you should listen to. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking, like, I was wondering how they got away with that as well, like, you know, if how old she was during the making of this movie, because it's like clearly, like, her parents must... No, she's 12. She was 12 when they kind of... Yeah, like, plays, by the way. I mean, she plays... Look how good she is, you know, like, in the early scenes compared with the demonic scenes. I mean, she's a really... And, and look, I don't care if she doesn't do the voice. When when she, like, turns her, her eyes to the priest and sort of looks from underneath her own brow at him <clears> with this sort of, like, deep, like, really, really unrelentingly dark yeah. view, you know, it's and you brilliant. go, wow, she's good. Oh, my God. No, it's brilliant. No, they went through so many kids to try to find the right kid, and he was, like, so frustrated that he, he was thinking about using, like, dwarf actors instead <laughs> because he couldn't find anybody. And then um, and then finally she came along, and she just... She so that means there's an alternate universe where the, where the little ver- the little person in, in the lead yeah. role. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Strange. <laughs> yeah, Billy Barty would have played the priest so, too. Yeah, but uh, you know, know, the thing that the clincher though, when they go, okay, it's time to call in, is definitely when the crab walk thing happens. When it's finally like, okay, there is truly like, my daughter shouldn't crawl backwards down the stairs and then vomit blood. Mm-hmm. You know, right. <laughs> it's really right. like where she starts really calling. And by the way, I have a good story about that. So my friend, this good friend of mine, we I can't remember if he saw the director's cut together or not. But that scene, because for years and years and years, you'd never seen that scene. And, you know, then, and he was fine with the movie because it all took place in the room, right? Like yeah. Once she's in the room, she's in the room. But once you introduced the fact that the devil could get out of the room and <laughs> just go careening around the house and doing whatever, he was like, I'm out. Like, and this one time we were at supper and, you know, we were having dinner and, you know, my wife was like, oh, yeah, well, she can totally get out. He's like, no, stop it. She's like, yeah, she can just get out whenever she wants. And he was like, you stop. <laughs> like, it's one of the first times I've ever seen him just really, really adamant about a horror movie. Like, we're not talking about this anymore. Because <laughs> everything was nice and compartmentalized. But once the devil could get out and do that, like, you know, because everything is so realistic. In, yeah, you know all the the life parts of it are so realistic that it really really struck him as, you know, nope, that's it, I'm out, 
<laughs> but he really like, and then we actually apologized because we just kept on like, of course, you know, you're a good friend, so what do you do? You rag, you know? No, we can yeah. get out anytime. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think, but, I think you just hit the nail, nail on the head, though. I mean, one of the things that does work about this movie is the the idea that you know the randomness of evil and that evil could be anywhere, and that if it can strike this. Very nice twelve year old girl you know it, it you know evil can be in any in all of us well, and, and maybe that's part of what the whole wealth wealthy actress thing is too is not only can it strike in a twelve year old girl but it can strike a upper class twelve year old girl you know I have more sympathy for the upper class. I will just submit that. Right. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like the idea, the notion that nobody is safe, no matter how right. rich you are, no, no matter how much money she spends, she's yeah. Not, yeah, she has no insulation against this. Yeah, yeah, the devil oh. doesn't care. In fact, but, you may enjoy it more. Yeah, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, but I think you know, there's that great, there's that great dialogue they have too, where you know, why would this happen? You know, what what's the point of this? You know, this happening to this little girl, and they say, I think it's you know for despair. Basically, the right. devil wants to show that this could be anybody. Look how look how pervasive evil is. Like I can do this to the least of you, kind of thing. And yeah. and you know that's and it's such a great scene when they're talking about that too. And it's it's true. It's like this is truly the most evil. It's random, and and terrible and awful to to see, and frustrating for everyone involved. Like why is this happening? Well, in the um, hero is Jason Miller as a, a very working-class priest. Damien, Damien, the wonderfully named Damien Karras. Yeah, exactly. By the way, did you know that Stacey Keach was supposed to be was supposed to do that role, and then they fired him when they when they found Jason Miller? Really? <laughs> yeah, they bought out his contract. Wow, that's really strange. Because yeah. Keach was a decent was a decent star at the time. Well, they didn't, but... he didn't do anything wrong. It's just that he saw um, William Friedkin saw Jason Miller in a Broadway play. And was like, I mean, I I agree funny. that that Miller is probably. Way finer than Stacy Keach would have been. And I love Stacy Keach, but I, I mean, think Gabriel Byrne would have been awesome, but he's like the same, basically. Right. But before, I mean, before we get into the priest, I want I, I want to bring up something uh, like a personal experience about this, and I want to I, I would like to ask everybody like like the psychological component about this. And there's you know something they even talk about in the movie about how most cases of possession now are just thought to be uh, reports of of schizophrenia or some kind of mental illness and people not understanding what they're saying. And I, in fact, was in a therapy group in my 20s. And, you know, without, you know, turning this into confessional, um, no pun intended, uh, you know, I had a, a fellow a fellow patient in this therapy group accuse me of being possessed and try to throttle me on the spot. And you know, well, it always it always made me think back. So it was like, oh man, you know, it gave me these sort of ambivalent feelings to the I, you know, it, you know, I talked about the the, the, the romantic feelings yeah. of you know the romanticized view of this movie, but it gave me sort of a different look on this too, where I can look at it like that. And I, you know, I, I you know, I am curious, you know, what, what you know, what everybody, you know, you know, would this movie work if it was not implicitly? Supernatural. If we could just look at it, okay, this is a girl with a severe chemical imbalance or something like uh, that. Well, then, it would movie, become a, then it would become I, a psychological thriller, which is also has, I mean, well, great value. I, I love psychological thrillers. I think since then we've had movies where that's been the case, you know, and it is, and certainly books, um, and you know, a lot of the, 
a lot of possessions, you know, medically have been that, or people, you know, people with with all kinds of mental illness, and then you know, people prove trying to prove, well, it's all mental illness, and then you have some who believe in the supernatural who are also like, well, no, there's these cases, and we can't explain them, and so there's there's the gamut of that has already been kind of like. I, it would be a different movie for sure, yeah. because it's that movie is a different movie about questioning people's faith, etc. Whereas this is a movie about, um, and I think they put it pretty succinctly um, in some of the interviews is about if you bring to the movie that the world is terrible and evil and evil always wins, you can see that because you know the priest dies. If you bring it to it that good can triumph over evil, it's also got that, because Karis is going to heaven at the end. And Friedkin yeah. talks about, like, each time you see Karis, he's rising. That, that was a motif. Yeah. He's walking upstairs. He's walking over a hill. He's coming upstairs. He's doing all this stuff. And he was very, like, like I, I did that on purpose, um, because the at, at the end, even though he die, dies falling down the stairs, he then rises again. And that was, you know, Friedkin doing that on purpose. But I think, I mean, I don't know if it would just be a way different movie, and you know, again, there's been those movies since then. Hey, it's and just the medical thing, but it's a. And it's a I go either field. way on the subject. Yeah. Which I, I'm open-minded to the, the, the you know, I, I I have, you know, certain religious beliefs. I'm open-minded to the possibility of the, the paranormal, but I do also have that that skeptical part of my brain that that, that questions. All right. Do a movie like that. Um, I, I, I'm trying to think of one because they're generally less exciting to people. To, a movie where you find out all the supernatural stuff turned out to be, to be misunderstood science. You know, House did that a lot on TV. You know, where they take it for granted on that show that there is no supernatural. So whatever seems to be supernatural is actually just a misunderstood, interesting effect going on. Something strange is happening that's causing, causing something supernatural to appear to happen. But here. You know, uh, yeah, they get rid of all that because this, right. records fly around. This is way supernatural. <laughs> I mean, well, in house, you could have records fly around, and then you'd find out that actually the thing is there's a gas leak in that room, and it's causing people to hallucinate. But that's not the case. Well, uh, you know, somebody twists their their head all the way around. But again, that's like an owl. You know, that's, yeah, they, that's Jason's right. saying that in house, it would end up being a hallucination, and all those things that they see. But but yeah. but well, yeah, that's how they that's how they handle the really crazy stuff. But um, so yeah, Jason Miller comes into the picture because he's he's the the local priest who counsels priests, and and uh, Ellen Burstyn wants to see a priest come and see if her daughter is is demonic. But the thing is, Miller Jason Miller is grappling with his own faith crisis mm-hmm. because his mom died recently. That sucked because she was in a in a public play, you know, public hospital. She couldn't take care of herself. She was half she was put in a mental institution, yeah. not even just it. a senior care facility, like an actual mental. Right, and then presumably moved back out and immediately died. He wasn't around for that. And well, again, no uh, money. And it, it also is partly because like he's also feeling guilt because if he could make a ton of money just being a psychologist. Right, but all he's a priest, and so makes all you know doesn't make money. Yeah, so yeah, you know, which is another again bringing back. It's an interesting question because at first when you brought up the question of the wealth of the mom, I was like, 
I don't really think that's such an important issue. And now I keep thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, there again, we have the contrast between, you know, him thinking, well, if I'd had more money, I could help my mom, and this woman having all the money in the world not being able to help her daughter. Right. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. That's great. Yeah. No, I mean, it's well designed, you know. And, and uh, uh, I should point out, by the way, the book by, by Blatty, I have not read, but he did something really strange and, and uh in 2010, I think it was, so very, very recently, he released a new version of the book, like a 40 anniversary, uh, 40 year, uh, whatever you want to call it, 40th anniversary edition of the book. And he literally did an edit on the whole book. He toned up descriptions, he toned up dialogue. In other words, just another draft of The Exorcist. He said, you know, I was in a hurry when I did it in 1970, and so this is the draft I would have done if I had had a chance to go over it again. How do you feel about that? It's like Lucas redoing Star Wars. Screw that. Yeah, I I mean, it's a tough one. Well, I mean, we forget, you know, by the way, how many many versions of The Hobbit there were. People seem to be mostly okay with that. But um, I, I don't know. You know, there's there's a good bit as well. And I know I keep going because, I, like I said, I watched a lot of Exorcist over the past week um, while I was doing like work on my laptop. I was I had the commentaries on and stuff. And there's a whole thing where where uh, Friedkin's telling Blatty like, look, this is never going to be the film that <laughs> that you want it to be. He's like, sometimes you just have to let it go because evidently. Blatty just wanted more and more and more, and he actually was pushing more for the director's cut stuff. And so I'm guessing that this is an extension of, well, if the movie couldn't be the movie I wanted it to be, even with the extended parts, then maybe I can go back and, you know, pump up. I, You know, it's been forever since I've read the first book. I've read Legion more times just because I like Exorcist 3 a yeah. lot. Um, but I, you know, I, I... Haven't read The Exorcist proper in oh, it's been a really long time. So I'd be curious what the differences are. I don't know. I mean, I remember everybody loving Legion uh, when it came out, and I remember having friends all through school who were like, "That book is really good. You know, that's an excellent. You know, the the sequel to The Exorcist. It was called. You know, um, so I, I I haven't read it, but I've heard I've heard that it was. I was thinking, I like I was a lot, re- actually. I was reviewing my notes of stuff that we haven't talked about yet, and I was wondering what you guys think of the whole business of the church. Like they haven't done exorcisms in forever, and they even they have a they have a, pros- a policy for it. But you have to be able to like there has to be speaking in tongues, and all this stuff has to happen that they'll accept. And they haven't yeah. he hasn't been able to find anything. So he records, sure. he goes and tries to record uh, her saying stuff, and um, he like uses water that he says is holy water, and she claims that it burns, but it, he says it's not really holy water. And then when she's speaking in tongues, it's actually English backwards, uh, where she's saying, "Yeah, let her die, fear the priest." And then Marin, which is actually the most telling thing, is that randomly this. So what does all that mean? Marin. In other words, why is the demon screwing around? The demon, you know, knows from holy water, right? Or, or does it? I mean, uh, why well, yeah. he's a demon? He lies. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's what they do. That that is awesome. Another oh man. I, you know, I keep going back to it. But the, another thing they said was uh, the uh, priest. Marin. Um. No. Um. Karis. Karis. Uh, Karis. The the actor. I, uh, another a priest who was you know actually there since they had all the priests. Oh. oh gave oh, him oh, a yeah. medal 
during shooting and said, look, you're going to need this because uh-huh. anytime you try to expose the devil as being a trickster, he will he's going to go after you. Right. Like, yeah, he's like another once you William, expose but... him, like here's this, here's this thing. Yeah. And and then the guy, the priest who gave him, like a, a few days later, he he had died. Wow. <laughs> they said like well, he, nine people died during the, you know, because it was like shot over like 15 months he, or something. And, uh, but he gives him, he gives, gave him this medal and said, you know, you need this, like you're going to need this as protection because once you do something like this and you, you, you know, you're after the devil, he he's going to ruin yeah, you. Yeah, but he didn't die. You know that priest didn't die. William O'Malley didn't die. No, no, but the no, priest no, gave the, him, what I'm talking about in real life. The priest who gave him the medal to, like, in real protect life. Like in, at, William Miller. You know, <laughs> but I'm saying yeah. the priest, the guy who, William O'Malley, who's in the movie, did not die. Did he die no, 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 now? I'm not saying that. I He's never said that. Person. This is a, a, this there is was a other real guy. Yeah, there was okay. a priest yeah, who gave a him stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a medal and said, you need this. And... and like, it gets oh, okay. creepier, though. You know, the rest of that is that he, the three days later, um, what's his name? Uh, Miller, the the priest's actual, his real son in real life was on set uh, riding a bicycle and was hit by a motorbike oh and God. was in critical condition and everything. Like, he, they didn't know if he was even going to make it. And that was, like, during the filming of this movie. And that's, like, one of the yeah, many... No, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, said, you know, and... well, the guy who gave him the medal, he said, like, he's walking through the halls, and he looks, and he sees this room, and he's like, is that a coffin? And he goes in, and it's the priest who gave him the medal, like, in the coffin. So he actually saw him oh, my God. In, in state, like, a few days later, like, whoa, <laughs> there's that, you know, I, I have this thing, this object that this person lying in front of me gave me just a few days ago. It's It's pretty, I mean... You know, a lot of the actors talk about, well, you know, people die during a, you know, when it's a few weeks, it's a, yeah, nobody but does, but over 15 no, months. Weird. But there was still a lot of weird bits. Oh, uh, my gosh. The, yeah. The uh, the um the actual exorcism when the two priests are in there and all this stuff's going on, that's fascinating. You know, it's the, um like when they're yelling, the power of Christ so we tells should, you. Yeah, in fact, we should go straight to that. What, we talked about the, the uh, working class, Jason Miller. So he realizes very quickly... Yep, this girl is definitely possessed. He very quickly gets the bishops to go, yeah, okay, sounds good. And so he calls on Father Marin. Well, and, and also the demon had called Father Marin. I mean, the yes. demon had actually the called The demon him. mentions by by name, beware the priest, uh, you know, Marin. And so they call Father well, Marin. Well, they imply that he's, the, 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 they talk about how he's performed an exorcism before yeah. in so Africa he's... and that it nearly killed him. Right. And yeah. the implication that I think that we're supposed to get from that is that the evil spirit that's in Reagan is the same evil spirit that he's confronted once before, and then also I never got that, but it didn't. That's it always been sense. my read of it. That's yeah, always been my read of it. I just thought that fine. he was that he was a, a gunslinger, and he had faced. Uh, well, but then why before. would the demon be calling out for Marin? Because he has a reputation. Yeah, but not to mention the fastest holy water in the West. (laughs) Yeah, but the police investigator finds the idol outside of the house after. That's true. Jamie's right about that. He finds he finds an idol of Pazuzu outside the house. There's also somebody who is the same one that Marin found in the desert. No, no, I I don't disagree with you. I'm I'm totally convinced. Yes, Pazuzu found him in Iraq, and now here he is in Washington D.C. Good. Yes. 
However, I don't accept that it's also Pazuzu who was in Africa, because why would there be only one demon circling the earth, possessing people? It seems well, like, they're not saying there's one demon. Well, they're saying there's yeah. one demon that, you know... That Mira has, 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 has a beef with Mira. Yeah, that's really good. It's, like, it's, it's not like Batman there's one Joker, dude. ever. Yeah, it's Batman and the Joker. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, suppose well, that's, I suppose that's correct. Um, well, I mean, it's could take care of all of Batman's villains in like an afternoon if you wanted to, but you know they like they like harassing Bruce Wayne. So Mary, I don't know. Mary if I would sets say out it's the whole. Oh, you're just... Okay, sorry. I'm sorry. What are you saying, Jamie? No, I was gonna say I was like I don't think that you're supposed to think that they're just arch nemeses like like I mean I guess you could assume like Batman and Joker, but I think it's more so the fact that it does have to do like you know why would they show that he had found the idol in Iraq, like, without... No, no, I get that. I'm with you. you know, I'm human. Okay. However, they also established that he did a, a that he did an exorcism a decade yeah. ago or so in right. Africa. Right. It's a different and thing. That, and that he, uh, West Africa, and that, and that uh, it was tough and it nearly killed him. I, I'm not, I agree with you. Yes, idol in Iraq is Demon in Washington D.C. I don't agree that. Well, demon... not just the idol, but the statue too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so who's the Joker who is um, who is putting weird conical things on the on the Madonna at the church? I'm just curious. That has to be. I also... think Reagan somehow doing Reagan. that. Reagan, yeah. Ah, Reagan. yes. Okay, thank you. Right. You know, I've never. That, that never worked out oh, for me. Okay. In my head, there was like a motorcycle gang that was carrying around. No, 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 no. It's all, it's all, the consecration is, is tied to the... To the all, oh, no, no, I know it's tied. I get it. I get, well, I mean, I get, it's the same thing. I was like, who is... Who is <laughs> he, the there's a side movie in Jason's head. There's <laughs> a lower budget. There's a lower budget 70s horror film about a Satan-worshipping biker gang. I, see, I want to. I want to see this made where the biker gang who brings <laughs> idol around and like demon possesses each town that they go to. I yeah, want to see that funny. movie. That would be awesome. In my mind, it's it's Malcolm McDowell, by the way. And well, see, now it starts. It sounds it starts to sound more like The Omen or Rosemary's Baby, where they've got this like crew of Satan worshippers. God, whatever. wasn't that the coolest? Yeah. Yeah. This is all the same universe. We have just now decided that The Omen, The Exorcist. <laughs> And, 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 sons of our, and sons of anarchy. Yes. <laughs> That's right. This is amazing. Yeah. Really, I, just, I really want to see this crazy demon biker movie. Write that. Write that, my friend. And, 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 and this Adam this. West yeah. Batman. Right after, you, right after you write your, your fire shark or whatever it was. <laughs> fire, fire shark versus bear shark. Yeah. I think that'll be the satanic biker gang. You know, led by Malcolm McDowell, with I think Russ Tamlin as the sarcastic second in command. You're you're good to go. All oh, and then they all are taken race. out by Roger Moore, James Bond. It's, <laughs> it's hard to be raced with the devil, though, as far as sheer like oh, I chase. Okay, but we uh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, Damon all right. Do that. Race with the devil, by the way. Yes, totally. Um, okay, Father Marin. Yeah, we should touch on in the next like few minutes, and then totally move to the final thoughts because there's no way we could do this. This uh, is our hundredth episode. We can talk as long as we want. Well, that's true. I think we anyway, should go for a hundred minutes in the hundredth episode. The big <laughs> okay. The place where we are in the movie is really the end of the movie because the movie is quite tight. Yeah. Once Marin shows up, it is time for the big exorcism, which is broken up into two pieces. Meeting the demon, they take a break, 
And, uh, and just to give a brief synopsis, they take a break. Marin has a heart attack, and Karis finishes it all. But um, the, the, the way it starts... We don't know if Marin has a heart attack. We just know that he's dead when... He seems to have a heart. He has a heart condition. He has a problem. But yeah. he... So for the first half... It's, this is really like a miniature movie, because you have the protagonist, which is Father Karis, and now you have the mentor who shows up. And the mentor, as with all movies, dies three-quarters of the way through so that the protagonist can be the one to pick up the scepter of it and, and finish it all. But Marin is there to give, to give Father Karras this, like, really fast sort of primer on demonic possession. Yeah, he gives him the primer. He talks about how the demon lies and how it's going to mix the truth of the lies and don't believe it. Oh, and then at, one point, stuff. at yeah. one point when he leaves to go take his heart medication – um, he comes back in, and Karis is with uh, the demon, and the demon is speaking in Karis's late mother's voice. And yeah, that's really creepy, by the way. Yeah, it was fantastic. It's very scary, and it's something that anybody in the audience can identify with. You know, you might not be able to identify with certain things like in Dracula movies or whatever, but, you know, they can all identify with my mom has died, <laughs> my aunt, and, and that's you know, or, or loved ones. So the idea of this little girl possessed by the demon and telling you that, that your loved ones who maybe you feel guilt about are suffering in hell is deeply affecting. You know, it's, that's yeah. really brilliant. Really, really wonderful. So um, that's when he says, get, don't listen, just get out. And so uh, Karis leaves, and when he comes back, Marin is dead. Yes. And, um, and then he's, he starts to really just lash out at the demon, and he's like, take me, get out of her, take me. And so um, the demon does, in fact, jump over into Karis, and then Karis throws himself out the window and, and down the steps and dies. To commit to, to, mm-hmm. to it seems, at least for now, to, to stop the reign of terror of this demon. Before, it, we, before we move on from this, I just want to point out, <laughs> favorite things, if you have favorite things, tell me about this, uh, about this exorcism. But to me, the best part is, Father Marin has his shit together so well that when, you know, he shows up and he's like, okay, let's start the call and response. And he starts to do the call and response. And Damien, <laughs> oh, and he tells Damien, hey, run off to the church, grab this, grab this book, you know, the big one, blah, blah, blah. They come back, they're doing their incantation, the bed starts levitating, and Jason Miller is just literally struck frozen. Because this is the first time he believes that it's actually yes. a demon. He's just, just frozen with fear. And, and yeah. Marin go, just sort of casually, he never yells, he never gets angry. He, you know, he's always like, you know, the, he says, the, um, you know, the response please, Damien. You know, and it's just so lovely. It's really neat to suddenly see this partnership that only exists for about 10 or 15 minutes on the screen, if that. Yeah. Um, that's just and that's when, that's when we do see all those iconic images of the demon's head turning 360 degrees and the spewing the green you know, <laughs> vomit. And they, they, they put that, by the way, they took that doll out and about and had, would have it in like a taxi <laughs> and let people oh. come by and then let it spin its head to test it out. My God. Oh, that's did. so funny. Oh man! That's yeah, so it's a doll. Weird. I don't know if people are aware that that's a doll. You know, I because oh, I when I watched creepy. this, I thought that you what thought her head doing, actually was going around. I th- well, I thought they did a <laughs> trick where I thought they did a stage trick where the actress goes in, the actress does a spin somehow by shifting her weight underneath a body. I thought the body was a doll, but the head was. A, but no, it's just all a doll. It's just all a big puppet, which and is this, great. I'm so glad they talk a lot about 
you know, how would they had to do it practical. And I'm so glad because it comes out just so well, like all the effects. Yeah. It, well, to the to the detriment of the actors because they talked about like the, all the times that they throw, you know, threw the actors around, you know, especially like when uh, Reagan's thrashing around on the bed and everything. Like yeah. she was doing oh, that, and then it, the harness thing broke, and so she was like actually hurting her back. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, Ellen burst when her mom gets elbow. thrown. Oh yeah, when her mom gets thrown around, they're filming. They they move in with the camera, and she's like, "Get that freaking camera out of, out of my face!" Like, yeah, you so know. many people were injured, and oh, but like all, but all of that practical stuff. I mean, it adds. Oh yeah, and that one. I'm glad that it's before CG. You know. The woman who does the um, the voice of of the demon, basically, um, she actually like totally screwed up her throat just to do that and would like swallow like um, egg. Was it like raw eggshells or something? I mean, she just she was all these horrible raw things. eggs and apple, like mushed apples, and she would chain smoke and then throw up and that drink mixture. and drink. And she was actually yeah. a recovering alcoholic. So that was a big thing that she was like drinking whiskey to do that. Um, but she the actually other... tied herself up to, um, you know, to, to do the sound so that she would be authentic, like tied herself up the way that the character was bound up so that she would sound authentic and try and fighting against the binds and all that stuff. I um, also so that's all thought... very, very cool. Oh, huh? So going on uh, kind of a little more into that, like, and how everybody was used in this movie, but you know the faces that you see, like the the I guess you're supposed to assume it's Pazuzu, but like the demonic face that you see in the wall, and yeah. um, you know um, that's Eileen Dietz, the um, that face, and she's actually she's painted up like that. But when you see um, Linda Blair throwing up, that's actually Eileen Dietz. Yeah. To look like, um, and you know, Linda Blair, oh. but they have like these plastic. Um, oh gosh, what do they call it? The uh, a mold. Like, yeah, kind of like a mold. Yeah, exactly. But it made it so that her she wasn't able to close her mouth, and she, they would be there trying to get the, um, you know, like it's the pressure right of the pea soup, and she would be there for like you know hours not being able to close her mouth or swallow and she actually sued the the movie like <laughs> she sued everybody because she wanted credit like she wasn't credited as a uh, being like I, and she want but the weird thing was how she wanted to be credited it wasn't that she just wanted to be like a a double or you know like a stunt woman but she wanted to actually be listing as like the puking uh, oh, how, how did she? Um, the puking Pazuzu. Yeah, not pu- puking Pazuzu, but um, puking, puking Reagan. Puking Reagan. Puking Reagan. Oh. <laughs> it was just that's a great punk band name, by the way. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but she totally she lost the suit. But I just thought it's like maybe she would have won if she had kind of gone for a different credit. But I thought that was so interesting. That, that is like, that is very interesting. You know, yeah. Um, and she was on Happy Days <laughs> and, like, General Hospital. But she was kind of like a no-name character actress who's been in a ton of things. She has a great and, face. I mean, she's really yeah. good as Captain Howdy, you know, when they show her. In, it, she shows up a lot in Shadow in this movie. One of the neatest eerie tricks the movie does is it'll pop Captain Howdy's face into random corners. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, there's actually some debate as to whether, like, because 
Freakin says that it's actually just early shots of makeup shots of of um, trying to get the makeup right for Linda Blair. So it's 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 actually um, her, the the actress who is the one going around saying that that's her, but the director disagrees. <laughs> oh, really? So I think that's really interesting. But she's definitely Captain Howdy, regardless, which is the the one with the white face and the weird. That's what I'm saying. He says no. He says that she that that was actually Linda Blair. That is uh, not Linda in Blair. Early, in early yeah. 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 well, the the white well, face. The, they go through a whole. There's a whole thing. Like you get, if you have the Blu-ray, it's definitely not it because they show and they have the guy who made the puking device and everything, and he's like, "No, it's her. Here's the way. Here's the way I did it." That's the puking thing. Not not the puking thing. Uh, the Captain Howdy. I got Again, like Dick, I, I gotta just say, like Dick Dick Smith, the guy that did all the 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 makeup for this movie recently past and you know you're talking about the awesomeness of practical effects like we just you gotta tip your there was oh, yeah. no movies like this when this came out and i mean I, I wasn't alive when that this came out but i mean i've i've seen tons of horror films that are contemporary of this and there yeah. is nothing like this you know the closest as far as elaborate makeup effects would be planet of the apes which is of course nothing like this Okay, this is the line that I'm talking about, though, as far as the part with with the white-faced demon. I guess that's the difference. We're not talking about the throwing out part. We're talking about the white-faced demon. It says on IMDb, it says, according to William Friedkin, the subliminal shots of the white-faced demon are actually rejected makeup tests for Reagan's possessed appearance. So maybe that means Yeah, Reagan tests. But yeah. it was on Eileen D. That's oh, okay, the okay, okay. So it's on Eileen. Okay, okay. And yeah. I'm yeah. like William Friedkin is 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 uh, is, is uh, bitter that he got sued to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, that's fascinating. Yeah, he's probably sick of listening to that. So, so. We never talked about the, the the the. There's actually a cop movie going on behind all yeah. this other stuff. I know, right? The, the random detective who showed up in Daughters of Darkness is also is not really the same actor, but it's the same it's part. Columbo, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have another working class guy. In this case, it's the uh, detective who's trying to figure out how how Burke, the um, the the director, wound up throwing himself out a window and and turning his head around and so forth. And but to be honest with you, it's almost like a novel plot that never really pays off. To be honest, but he comes out in Legion. Like yeah, that character is the main character in Legion. And what's what's funny also is his quirkiness that is in The Exorcist is way more in Legion, but not so much in Exorcist Three. So like the character that's well, in Exorcist is closer, but I think it's the way it was written as well. And I love Exorcist three, but just the way he's presented in Exorcist is a lot closer to the book, and the way he's presented in Legion, that just doesn't acro- come across on the, on the screen, which I thought was fascinating. Like watching it again, especially the ending, the the restored ending uh, from the director's cut. Huh. Um, I do think he's actually very important to the exorcist like to to this one because okay. without Play him he's <laughs> the one I mean, he is the seed that for, I mean yes to the Alan had seen Captain Hat like the weird stuff where suddenly like the um the Ouija board 
shift think shifts suddenly when um, Reagan's touching it in the first you know, first few scenes where you know the and you know so she's but she doesn't seem to pick up on it and she still doesn't after you know Reagan throws a golden shower at the cocktail party like doesn't seem to think there's anything really demonic. She just thinks her child's mentally ill. And it doesn't seem to dawn on this woman that this is happening until he says that, you know, this man was not just, like, he didn't just fall drunkenly down the stairs. His head was completely turned around. How could there have been somebody in this room strong enough to do this? And then she starts thinking about, you know, like, what was there someone in there? And then who could be in there? And then the noise on the attic happens. So without him, like, kind of going there, he's, you know, what opens her eyes to the possible demonic possession, in my opinion. Well, I love these wonderful servants that are so loyal, by the way. Yes. No, I was just saying, look, it, it's true. So, Jamie, you're absolutely right that he fulfills that function and is an important part of the plot. But if you took him out, you could put all that stuff in somebody else's mouth. In other words, somehow or another. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm. He is, a great char- he is a great character. Yeah, he's very watchable. And considering the movie. But why is he always out. asking the priests out to the movies? That just weirded me out. He's lonely. No, no, well, oh, no. Okay. He, he wants, he wants, bro, he wants bro friends. That's that's not weird oh, at all. Okay. I think that's yeah. quite sincere. He's actually, and like I said, it comes across more in Legion. He's actually kind of a weirdo and definitely a loner. And the rest of the police force is like, wow, that guy's kind of strange. And he loves, he does really love cinema. You'll see yeah. him go into the okay. cinema, and so that's just part of that's part like, of the, the quirkiness part. comes across, and that's why I was always, especially after I read it, like that's just one of his things, and it. It doesn't come across as much in Exorcist 3, but it's in the books where that's just one of his, like, yeah, and he's kind of a, a loner, pariah kind of guy in the force. Like, oh, man, that guy, ah, oh, he's all on the scene. I don't like talking to that guy kind of thing. And everybody kind of treats him with kid gloves, and it's kind of just humors him <laughs> as far as the rest of the detectives on the force. But, yeah, it's just one of those weird things that he does. Um that, okay. that I just wasn't character. sure. I was like, that just weirded me out for some reason. No, he's supposed like, to be an odd, found that strange. An odd duck. Yeah, he's he's a weirdo. And, you know, they kind of hint on that. It, like I said, it comes across more in, in Legion, but um, well, and, and they didn't I, write, I really write much of that into the, into the it's movie. It's weird, but it's, it's a mild ex- eccentric kind of weird. That, yeah, yeah. He's that, definitely an eccentric. That's what... No, and, and I can see, though, in the world of... of Movie cops, they don't cotton to like these just random eccentric guys who quote movies and plays all the time and, and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, is a he is he's a he's a neat character. Um, well, we should probably move to our our final thoughts. I, I, I as we often say with major films like this, we we could probably do several sessions on it. But let's get to final thoughts on The Exorcist and then come around for um, for endorsements. So we'll go uh, same order, Tony, Jamie, Drew, Julia, and then I'll go. Um, so, Tony, final thoughts on The Exorcist. I really like it, and I think that while sometimes the director's cut is can be a crutch or it can be, um, oh, that's neat, I, I think 
definitely when I saw it, especially in the theater, I think it's a, a scarier version of uh, of the movie. But I think that there's a lot of really great. There's so many great performances. I I think the movie is really effective. Yeah. Um, and I you know I didn't see it as a kid certainly, but uh, I saw it much later. And each time I revisited, I noticed you know a bit more um nuance and and I really you know especially diving in you know head first into everything that was just about everything except the regular cut in the uh blu-rays like yeah I you know this is one of those that I definitely would watch and I think it's also a uh one of the films you can learn from as far as you know that you can do film studies on on this film alone and how it's put together. Um, absolutely. I, absolutely. And, and that's part of why they got Friedkin because they were looking for a more uh, documentary style. They didn't want it to be a super, you know, horror movie. And so no, they thought his style would work. And and I think that 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 was a great choice. I think it's one of those kind of everything coming together in a weird way and making something that, regardless of what you think about it. It certainly spawned a lot of movies, not nearly as good, and some that would be, you know, that strive to be this good. And, you know, the ripple effect from it went a long way. It also led to, you know, a lot of the devil scare of the 80s, but, That's right. oh well. You know, you take the good and the bad, I guess. Yeah, the booga, booga. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Um, Jamie, final thoughts, The Exorcist? Well, uh, I do suggest everybody eventually watches it at some point. Everyone, now. <laughs> um, I, I guess it's, it's kind of a Easter movie, but it is a classic version of um, it. Uh, I personally, I liked it. Um, I feel like you kind of have to, have to be in the right mood for me to be totally in, enjoying it in, the, in that moment. Um, I feel like after seeing it a few times, in my mind, I just have a little jaded. But I feel like now more than ever, we're losing me a little bit, Jamie. Yeah, Jamie, Jamie you're, 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 you're fading. But 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 if you if you come back in a second we'll let you try again. Uh, Drew, final thoughts? The Exorcist. Well, um, I, I feel like I was kind of I was kind of hard <laughs> on it during my my. T- I don't want to come off like I don't like the movie. I just right. feel like I have a different take on it. To me, this is a thrilling movie. It's it's very exciting. Um, it's very shocking. Uh, and I, I definitely think it set the stage for a lot of of what followed as far as horror films. Certainly, in terms of effects, you know, the, like the, the the films like Texas Chainsaw and Halloween sort of gave a format for for the '80s slasher boom. But this sets the stage in a lot of ways with its its use of grotesque, odd makeup effects that are very in your face. So there's that aspect of it. And then there's, again, I, I think there's a sort of a, a romanticism to this that that we, you know, movies don't really 
deal with with faith in the way this movie does anymore. And I think, in in some ways, it's kind of a shame. We're we're at kind of such a cynical stage where you know Hollywood just sort of refuses to show faith of any kind, and this doesn't necessarily have to be your religious faith, but faith of any kind in any kind of positive manner. And, I, you know, there's something kind of refreshing to go going back and watching something like this and, and you know, where, where it is treated more respectfully and less cynically. And I, I greatly enjoy that aspect of this movie. So I, I do recommend, you know, obviously any serious scholar of horror films or film in general needs to see this movie. And it, is a, it has many fine performances as excellent uh, lighting and, and costuming and effects. So I, I I greatly enjoy the movie. I, I'm just not a devotee of it the same way a lot of a lot of people are. Wow. No, but I thought that was I thought that was very well said. And I and I can't wait to like get to next week and um it see mm. how it, this is gonna be a it's it, having said all that wonderful stuff that you said about this, it's gonna be fun to do this as a retrospective and see how the different movies uh handle that. Oh like, too. Um, okay, <laughs> but before we get, I'm not even going to say a word about it because we'll get to it next week. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, Miss Julia, final thoughts, The Exorcist. I'm just so glad that we watched it again. It was my idea to to do it for the hundredth episode, and ever since I said it out loud, I was kicking myself, going, "Why did I, why did I say that?" And then, it, but I'm glad. I'm glad that we watched it because I do, I do think it's so scary and horrific. Um, it's not scary like the like. You know, like things jumping out at you. It's you know where you scream out, but it's just horrifying. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm kind of proud of myself for watching it because I feel like it shows that this doing this podcast has really helped me sort of face my fears and you know because I always hated horror movies. Um, and so, uh, but you know, so I think it's been a good experience. I kind of feel like it's been like therapy of some kind, uh, a little bit. But um, you know, it's it's a really great film. Um, it, my only criticism again is that I think that too the beginning is too slow. Like it takes too long to get to all the action. But I get it. I, I don't. I don't feel like if I feel like if you're going to spend that much time waiting, it's kind of like you know if you're going to spend that much time waiting to uh, get to the real action, it should be more mood setting and less just sort of like you said, you know, getting to know the '70s and this this the culture of these people. Um, I don't know. That's just my thought. But yeah, but otherwise, I mean, it's great. God, the exorcism stuff is is fantastic. Yeah, I have essentially nothing to add to that other than that I'm very excited to be doing this retrospective because I, to my mind, you can't have a more just crazily wavering retrospective than the series, the Exorcist <laughs> series. Although maybe the Jaws series would be it. Because well, we're literally, yeah. we're, we, we are down for the whole thing. We're going to do, we may wish we watched Jaws the Revenge because we're going to do The Exorcist and next week we'll be back for The Exorcist 2 which was a shock to many people. And then The Exorcist 3 which is a sort of unknown surprise to many people. And then Exorcist Alternate 4-ish because there's two of them, they're the same story. They just, they just, it was a film they loved so much they made it twice, and so that's that's going to be fun. Five movies, five weeks, a really great way to get into our second uh, hundred episodes. Um, so let's do endorsements. And by the way, let, let me just say really quickly, 
thank you all for doing this show and for doing uh, and for being with us for the past. Uh, oh yeah, hundred. Definitely. Thank everybody <laughs> for <been> wonderful. <laughs> it's it's really really been a, a wonderful part of my life for the past several years. Um, all right, <laughs> endorsements. What are you reading and what do you recommend? Uh, where where do we go? Tony, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, I'm definitely gonna, like I said, get the get the Blu-ray of this, the two-disc one, because it is full of just great stuff. Um, like I couldn't stop watching it. And if you let the menu, if you want to get super creeped out, leave the menu on, which has all the crazy demon like noises going on just constantly. Woof! Like that, I had left it on. I was walking around the house. It was late at night, and I was working on some like artwork. And man. And I actually had it on, like, I had wireless headphones, so I don't have to disturb anybody when I'm staying up late. And, man, that was super creepy. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get scared, do that. It's it's definitely unnerving. <laughs> but um, ah, as far as endorsements go, um, I know there was something, um, and now I can't remember, so I'll have to remember. But But definitely I totally endorse the the blu-ray for sure so it's it's really really great awesome um hey jamie are you back i'm back yeah (laughs) sorry i got no no some reason the call just dropped for no reason but uh that's that's okay um my endorsement um is probably uh i would have to say wilfred i don't know if anybody's watched this on netflix but uh it's you know it's a short like half hour comedy um starring elijah wood and jason comedian jason gann he's an australian um for and basically it's about this guy who strikes up a an unusual friend with or or, you know companion in his neighbor's with his neighbor's dog and except it happens after he tries to commit suicide after taking some pills. The neighbor comes over with the dog. And instead of seeing a dog, he sees a man dressed as a dog. And hilarity ensues where, (laughs) you know, nobody else sees Wilfred, who's the dog, um, as anything but a dog, except for Elijah Wood. And he talks to him. And it's basically a a full-on you know, not only commentary, but a satire about mental illness and the struggles of, you know, it's kind of after quarter life crisis. Yeah, it's actually, it's really good. It's really funny. Kind of, it's, it's pretty crude, forewarning. Um, So, but, uh, yeah, it gets a little dark, but yeah, it's watching it, but it's, it's really good. Like, and Elijah Wood is, I've seen him a lot at Fantastic Fest and, talk music and stuff he's he's a really cool guy off screen as well and like um but yeah that that show is really good <laughs> it's like, it it's dark like it's and it still, is crude but it's really fun and so it's done it's done like single camera like scrubs or one of those shows it's, which is funny because wikipedia says it's done with a three camera setup but it looks to me like it's like it's done well i guess it is a three camera setup but it feels much more filmic than, uh, than a traditional sitcom. Interesting. Well, that's a really great endorsement. I really appreciate that. Um, and by the way, Jamie, if you weren't around when I said it, thank you for being with us, too. I, um, oh, yeah. 
Well, thank you guys for for having me, and it's always a pleasure being on, and I appreciate uh, being here for such a momentous occasion. (laughs) Um, I wish we had cake. No, all of a sudden. (laughs) Danger cake? Yeah, <laughs> All right, Mr. Drew, um, endorsements for for us this week? Well, uh, Jamie and I have been partaking a lot of television via Netflix lately because the other thing we have delved into recently is the TV version of From Dusk Till Dawn. And oh, yeah. it's co-produced by Netflix. And I have to say, you know, because I, I talked about Hemlock Grove back when they were doing the, the Evil Dead retrospective a lot. This is like a thousand times better than than Hemlock Grove. Like it's it's not perfect, but it's it, you know it's it's because it's having to stretch out a two hour movie into a now ten episode season of TV. You know, there's there's some characters that are that are spread a little thin. There's some characters that are definitely made more interesting because of having to, to, to dig deeper into that. But there's also uh, some characters that are spread a little thin. But it's it's got a great look. It's got a lot of good character actors on it. It has James Remar. It has uh, uh, Robert Patrick. Uh, it, it, you know, the, the guy playing Seth Gecko does a great George Clooney impression. I mean, nobody can be George Clooney in From Dusk Till Dawn. To me, that's still his best role. But uh, he does a pretty, he's pretty, it's pretty close. And the fact that it's filmed in Austin, and if you, you are an Austinite, you will see so many familiar places in this show. Oh. So, I, you know, kudos to Robert Rodriguez for once again helping oh, out. Cool. Yeah, helping out the local economy. And I have to say, as much as I liked the past two, you know, I like the two Machete movies. This is probably the best thing Robert Rodriguez has done in, in years. Like, this is, you know, this is, you know, the, the last episode, it, you know, you could kind of tell they still hadn't fully adjusted to doing a TV-style ending, you know, that the, the ending's a little filmic for something that's supposed to be leading into a second season of TV, but it's still completely worth your while. All 10 episodes are on Netflix. And again, a thousand times better than Hemlock. Before you get into two seasons of Hemlock Grove, if you want to watch a vampire show, this is a thousand times better than Hemlock Grove, which I previously endorsed even as a guilty pleasure. This is a thousand times better than that. Uh, And, it's just it's just good good fun. I've been describing it on Netflix as a Texas fried version of Supernatural and I think that, that if you're a fan of Supernatural you will you will probably like this show. Wow. Alright. Well very good. That's that's all right. Yet another thing to like put on the on the mm-hmm. queue. Um Julia, did you have anything you wanted to endorse this week? Well, I I have a 12-year-old who is a, a, a Whovian, a Doctor Who addict. Um, she is, has everything that Doctor Who themed and she just has watched every single episode. She hasn't memorized. She knows the I'm, exact order. Like, if you tell her which episode you're on, she'll tell you which one that comes next. I'm and so, so jealous. I, it was I, so not cool to like Doctor Who when I was growing up. Like, I know. Isn't it weird? It was weird? Like, why would you watch that crap? Are you, oh, oh it's, on the public, it's on public access? What are you trying to learn? 
He was you like, know, I'm, like yes. I'm, I'm so jealous, actually. <laughs> I have a friend anyway. who's such a big Whovian, and we got him a Doctor Who shirt as a, as a birthday present. He's like, well, I can't wear this in public. You know, no woman will ever talk to me. And I was like, no, you don't understand. If you wear that in public now, women will talk to you. Yeah, yeah. everything's different. When I was a kid, the only way to watch Doctor Who was through, like, VHS tapes that people, like, traded around. It was on PBS when I grew up. But yeah, right, I mean, right. So somebody would have, like, recorded a couple of them when the PBS ran a bunch of them during a pledge drive. Well, we even we even commissioned a um, a bleach shirt, you know, like the shirts that you make with the, by bleaching um, – Mm-hmm. Bleaching out over a over a stencil from uh, from my friend Jennifer. Who let me see if I can find it. Her website is Jenspirations J E J E N N Spirations uh, dot com. I think. And she's an awesome. Anyway, she did. Yeah, she's an awesome. So she made this awesome shirt for for Sophia that's got the TARDIS on it. So now it's on her website. There you can check it out. She's got an Etsy website. But anyway, um, so uh, what I was going to say though is, uh, although I do also endorse. Jennifer, um, I was, was going to endorse the uh, the new season of Doctor Who that has just started up with the new Doctor, and we watched the episode um, this last week, and it was great. But so I've gone back and started watching it just so I have something to talk to my to my child about. So I've started watching like pretty much all the episodes. Like, and there's can, a lot can I ask a, a really ridiculous fanboy question? Mm-hmm. What's your favorite monster? What's my what's my favorite what's, monster? What's her, what's your, what's your oh, what's, what's yours and what's your what's your what's your daughter's what's favorite? What's her favorite monster? monster? Um, I don't know. I, I'm trying it's to think. The Weeping there's, Angel. There's no way. Oh yeah, the Weeping Angel. The Weeping yeah. Angels. Yeah. Rare, the Weeping Angels are pretty terrifying. cool. <laughs> They're yeah. terrifying. Yeah, that that would have to be it. Yeah, for both of us. What what about yours? Or is, is that all yeah, around? Yeah, no, I agree. The Weeping Angels all the way. So I'm a I'm a dyed in wool Dalek man. Like there's nothing oh, no, cool the dolls are funny. Oh my gosh, I watched an episode um, that's called Doomsday, and uh, at the, the first one I think it's called. It's two part. The second part is Doomsday. The first part is something about the ghosts. What is that? Something oh, the, the one where the dolls fight the Cybermen. Yeah, the dolls fight the Cybermen. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. That's probably my actually my favorite season finale of the new. The, it the, was the, so the funny because. They start, they're, like, insulting each other. It's hilarious. Like, at one point, the Cyberman says to the Dalek, um, we are similar species, but we are more elegant than you. And the Daleks do not care about elegance. And the Cyberman says, that is obvious. <laughs> that's funny. That's good. Anyway, it's a great show. That's, that's, that's fantastic. Yes. By the way, I thought that Peter Capaldi was really great. The, the, new, the new Doctor, it is so brave and even foolhardy, to my mind, for them to, for the, the makers of that show to replace 30-year-old Matt Smith, who's leaving, with, uh, you know, 50-something, if that, um, yeah. Peter Capaldi. You know, he's a gray man. He's an older man. It's totally, it's like going back to Doctor, it's like old school Doctor. And great, I got no problem with that as a fan, but as a as just a commercial thinker, that just seems just extraordinarily risky. Let's 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 be a little fair. Peter Capaldi is a lot better looking than than William Hartnell. No, absolutely, absolutely. He's more on the lines of because you know John Pertwee had a certain matinee idol uh, aspect to him. He had that lantern. He had a lantern jaw. He had all that stuff. But the the point is though, this is that's risky. This is really because we know that a lot of girls really dug the last two doctors. So. Who knows? Who knows why they did it this way? But I, I'm fascinated by the choice. Okay, my own endorsement is randomly 
I read Jamaica Inn, which is almost a horror book. It, it's a it's a novel by Daphne du Maurier who wrote uh, Rebecca, which is one of my favorite novels. So Jamaica Inn is a gothic novel about this uh, woman who goes to stay in this dilapidated old hotel that is run by her evil uncle who is a wrecker, which means that he runs a gang on the cliffs of Cornwall, and they, they use false lights and muffled bells and things to lure ships to their doom on the rocks, and they murder the people on the rocks and steal all the goods. And it's to some extent, it's a crime novel, and it's a mystery, and it's a romance. I mean, it's just fantastic. So I, I was, it was made into a, a movie by Alfred Hitchcock, which is apparently really terrible, and Hitchcock himself didn't like it. And it also is a brand new BBC miniseries this uh, this spring. So oh, um, that's cool. Yeah. So so uh, you can't go wrong with Jamaica Inn if you're looking for something to read. Oh. I did yeah. remember my endorsement, and it just showed up on Netflix, a movie called Blue Ruin, which oh. is a revenge film. It gets pretty dark, um, and it was super hyped at Fantastic Fest, and I was kind of like, can it be really that good? Like, everybody's just going ape over it. Is it just is it an indie darling, or is it actually truly good? And uh-huh. I dug it a lot. I, I, like I said, I don't know if it's a movie I watch a lot, because, man, it's it gets pretty dark. But it's really good. Like the oh, acting you dark, is you, great. Do you mean like Takashi Miike dark, or do you mean like? Oh no, like, not like that. But just you know, it's it's a it's a solid revenge film that that doesn't really pull any punches. But it's really well done. Um, it's great to see an indie film that like really delivers um, great acting. You know, it flows well. Um, I really like it. It's one that. You know, believe the hype if you hear about Blue Ruin. It's actually a really good movie, and it uh, just showed up on Netflix. Um, almost a year since I've seen it, I guess. Uh, but right. definitely add it to your list. Um, it's some truly stellar performances, and uh, you know, in the tradition of a, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess some people some people will probably disagree, but I think what's, in the tradition the of Rolling Thunder yeah. and those kind of you know those kind of oh, revenge yeah. films. You know, but what's the, the one where Terrence the, Stamp goes after the guy, the mobsters that killed his daughter, the Limey? You know, uh, that's yeah, a, a excellent, excellent uh, revenge picture. Very recent. But yeah, add add Blue Ruin to your list. You, I I don't think you, I mean movies are subjective, of course, <laughs> as we know yeah. since we review them. But I you know I I think it's a really really solid movie and deserves to be seen. Very cool. All right, and that's definitely enough time spent discussing The Exorcist. Although, like I say, we could probably pick, you know, topics that we haven't touched on and and do whole sessions on them. But next week we'll be back with some truly absurd stuff in uh, in (laughs) The Exorcist, too. I can't (laughs) wait to discuss this. Cannot wait because it gives us another chance to discuss. This but, is how you know that I that I that I love doing this show because I hate The Exorcist. This <laughs> should be good. Uh, outstanding. Um, all right. Uh, thank you, everybody. It's been delightful doing the hundredth episode with you, and uh, I can't believe we made it to a hundred episodes. Um, if you're listening to us, you know, uh, join us on Facebook. Ask us questions. Challenge us. Uh, you know, tell us what you think we got right and got wrong. Leave reviews on iTunes. That actually helps people find the show. And, um, you know, 
uh, anywhere else you want to contact us is great. But the Facebook page, we're always around there. So thanks, yeah. everybody. Have a fantastic evening. Happy 100. Yeah. Happy 100. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, Happy for sure. Happy <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.